Welcome to the Entre Pastors Podcast. This show helps pastors think, act, and thrive as prosperous entrepreneurs. And now, here are your hosts, Les Hughes and John Sanders. Well, hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Entre Pastors Podcast. My name is John Sanders, and I'm here with my other co-host, Les Hughes. Hey, Les, how you doing, man? What's going on, John? I'm doing great. Good to see you again. Likewise. I uh, have a bit of a head cold today, so today's show is being brought to you by the Halls of Medicine. Remember those commercials for Halls Cough Drops? Was that a thing oh, in Alabama? No doubt. Take your pick, man. There's a bunch of them. Yeah, well, forgive me for having a nasally sound here today, but we'll we'll make it through it. So, a lot of exciting things going on in the Entree Pastors community, Les. A lot uh, we're looking forward to in our membership with our mastermind. Today on this episode, I want to go a little deeper into something that we talked about a few weeks ago within our Entree Pastors mastermind. And maybe the way I'll frame it, we're going to title this episode, How to Increase My Capacity as an Entree Pastor. And I think the way I'll approach this conversation is to just say this— When we talk to pastors about taking this journey of becoming an entree pastor, for most pastors, that is going to require leveling up in, you know, one, if not multiple areas of their life. It's likely not going to be a lateral move. And why I say that, Les, is because so many pastors are already kind of maxed out in their pastoral role. If they're full-time pastoring, um, they've filled every inch of margin in their schedule and they already feel overwhelmed. And now here come John and Les with the Entree Pastor's message of, hey, what would it look like to help you think, act, and thrive as a prosperous entrepreneur? It is possible. It's absolutely possible. But it's going to require leveling up and increasing capacity. A pastor is going to have to increase their capacity on average to, to be able to do this. What, what do you say to that? Well, you know, one of the one of our members of our mastermind, as we were having that conversation, there was a little bit of pushback there, and um, but I think it was because of a little a little bit different approach. So, if you'll remember, uh, their pushback was, "Hey, you know, we've all got the same capacity. We've only got that, you know, the same amount of time in a day, the same, et cetera, et cetera." But when we are talking about capacity, it's not only time that we're talking about, right? So I would say even in that regard, though, it, while it's true that we that we all do have the same 168 hours in a week, look around. And even some of the people that are that are your age that possibly have the same kinds of background, there's a there's a wide spectrum of things that people accomplish with those same 168 hours. So. Uh, you know, time is resources are different, right? Like, like there's, there's an abundance of wealth out there and there really is no ceiling to that depending on your, your, uh, your own abilities. There is a ceiling on the time factor, no doubt, but there still are some things that we can do to increase our capacity in the sense of, of output, knowledge, skill sets, spiritual gifts, all of those things can be improved. That's what we mean by increasing your capacity. Right, and we'll get into the time. That's just one factor of this. And and yeah, it's, it's that reason that you look at some people and say, how are they getting so much more accomplished? Or how are they able to have their hands in multiple things? 
I would contend on some level it's because their capacity they have a higher capacity. This isn't a, a a statement of, you know, someone being superior or inferior. It's not that. It's about if you want to go to another level, you're going to have to increase your capacity. I'll give a different metaphor that this will make sense. At least it makes sense in my my world. Like a fish, if you put a small fish in a small aquarium, that environment, the capacity of that environment will ultimately stifle the growth of that fish. If we get that fish out of that environment or increase the capacity of that aquarium and get them into a bigger tank, that fish now has more room to grow. And so, and and I think there's other areas we could, you know, use that same metaphor, but that's really what we're tapping into here when we talk about increasing your capacity. Pastor, if if you desire to have a business or a multi, you know, a side hustle or even multiple side hustles of your own, and developing multiple streams of revenue, it's totally possible for you to do that and to be a pastor and to be a good pastor and to to still be obedient to the calling that God has placed upon your life, but it's most likely going to require you to level up. And so what we're going to do in this episode, Les, we're going to label six areas of, you know, different focus that a pastor might need to level up. There's probably others we could add to the list. And let's do this. Since we've already mentioned time, let's just go ahead and jump into that as the first one we'll throw out. So when we talk about time, you already said, Les, we all have 168 hours in a given week, 24 hours a day. Nobody gets more time than that. And one of in our conversation with our mastermind, someone made a really interesting point. I've never heard it said this way. We often use a phrase about time management, and he just made the point you can't really manage time because of the fact that time is just marching on you know it's more of a an issue of attention management or focus management you know things like that but and we've done even i think we did a whole episode on this at one time less we did a teaching mm-hmm. on time so we won't camp out yeah. here too long but what would you add to that conversation for a pastor that is saying look i'm already feel like i'm overworked in my schedule and don't have any margin for more how do we increase the capacity to bring more margin into our into that arena of time? Several of these areas overlap. So I would say one of the things is to identify what is your zone of genius and what is your zone of excellence and your zone of um, competency and your zone of incompetency. And as you start the, the bottom of that, pyramid would be your zone of incompetency. And those are the things that we just absolutely positively should not do. And, and either we should, either they should not be in our life or if they need to be done, we find somebody else that could do them quicker, better, bigger quality. And as, but as you move up that, that pyramid of, let's say at the the pyramid of capacity or the pyramid of abilities, the ideal place would be to be able to spend 80% of your time in that zone of genius. We go from the zone of incompetency to competency it makes us feel, you know, better about ourselves. There, those are things that we can do, but probably not the best usage of our time. And I could give you a real, an example of that would be me building out a website. I, I could stumble my way through find enough YouTube videos, ask experts questions and do it myself, but man, I'm not going to do, I'm, I'm, it's going to take me longer. It's going to take me away from the things that I could be doing. That's going to move the needle a whole lot more uh, in my life, but I could do it. And then there's the zone of, um, um, you know, excellence, which is going to be the things that I'm 
really good at, maybe better at than most. That's a real good usage of my time. The temptation is to get settled into that. And because it's, it's still comfortable, but when we can get to our zone of genius, like in our organization or in our business or in our church or ministry, the things primarily that really only you can do in the way that you can do them, ideally, that's where you want to be. And there are some, there are some ways to um, carve off those things, maybe not all in one day or one week, but gradually carve them off. One is to learn how to, to de- really delegate and build a team. Mm-hmm. You know, John, um, when I've worked with teams before, like leadership teams at a church, it might start out with just me and um, and one or two more people, but it's wise uh, uh, to even even to do like an org chart. You might have twenty spots in there, and your name might be on fifteen of them. Mm-hmm. But gradually, you can sort of have a plan of bringing other team members on, and them doing some of those things that aren't in your zone of genius. Yeah, I love that lesson. I'm just going to go down a little rabbit hole for just a moment here in that. This is one of the reasons, one of the many reasons I love this conversation about entree pastoring, because it forces something that is very biblical when a pastor says, look, I'm not going to be able to do all of the work of the ministry. I applaud that. That's not bad news to me. That's very biblical news to me, Ephesians 4. I love that because it basically forces a pastor to look at their time in any given week and the roles that they're showing up in and saying, okay, I should not be doing all of these things. I need to build a team, delegate, hand some of this off. In some cases, maybe it's hiring certain projects out altogether, you know, whether it's to an employee of the church or an independent contractor, whether that's a VA or someone on Fiverr or whatever, you know, we all kinds of resources where we can delegate, build a team or hire out certain things that then free up time. So to make this super practical, Les, I would just say to a pastor, it is okay for you to hand work of the ministry off to the people of your church, the team around you, other resources around you. And in that time that's now freed up, you can start focusing on something called entree pastors. Like you can start building out this other thing. And now you've got margin in your life to do that because you delegated time. Something hey, else. Look, Go ahead. We saw one of these in our world just, just the other day. And we can be transparent about that because it's kind of, it's it's a little bit it's a little bit funny, but it also is is a perfect example. We were having a conversation with with our team about uh, putting something on a spreadsheet, and so we won't get into all of the weeds. But the, <laughs> the it came around to yours truly putting something on a spreadsheet, and you saw firsthand what happens yeah. when when I start trying to put something on a spreadsheet, and I know the need for it, I know the value of it. And I can read them, and I I like once they're done being able to look at them and uh, you know analyze the data and get that information. But I just know that I'm not the best person to do that, and it's the drudgery to me. But there are some people, John, believe it or not, this is a this is incredible. I know there are some people that wake up in the morning thinking about how awesome it is that they can build a spreadsheet that day. Yeah, they have their just devotions with spreadsheets. Shoot me now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Les had one job to do on a spreadsheet, and he broke it the first the first access <laughs> he I, had to the spreadsheet. But full disclosure, I I, I informed people that that was going to happen. You warned us how bad you sucked, and you proved it immediately. So, <laughs> no, but that's that's a good uh, real illustration of that. And something else that came up in our conversation in the mastermind around this area of time is learning to eliminate distractions. You know, we could go deep yeah. into this of the digital age in which we live and 
just mm. the constant interruptions of dings and noises and emails and texts and Facebook messages and all of that, that there's, there's real things we can do to eliminate those distractions and to create, you know, blocks of time where we can really focus and leverage the time to the best of our ability. Um, you know, when it comes to calendar work, to, to put the big rocks on the calendar first, like to take these things that are really important. Cause what happens for most pastors in this arena of time, we're not intentional as well as we should be. And then everyone else fills up our calendar for us. And we just spend our days reacting to everyone else's agendas. And it feels like we're doing busy work because we're busy, we're tired, we're overworked, and we're never bored sitting around wondering what to do next. But we are not the ones taking control of that calendar and blocking out time and saying to the people we're leading, hey, listen, I'd love to meet with you, but it's going to have to be at a different... I've got an already scheduled appointment on my calendar. And it's an appointment you put there to work on your entree pastor thing. I want you to have permission to do that so that you're not sitting here trying to figure out where am I going to add this to my already busy list. You need to get some of that stuff off of your calendar. This is how we increase capacity in the arena of time. Anything Mm -hmm. else you want to add to that, Les, before we move on? No, let's go to the next one. All right, so the next one's simple, and this is we're going to be preaching to the choir on this because I think pastors generally do a pretty good job of this, but it's it's knowledge. Like if you're going to level up, you you're going to have to learn some stuff. There's some information you probably are lacking right now that you you're going to need to get to that next level. So how do we increase our capacity in the arena of knowledge, Les? Well, I think one of the things is to one of the first steps is to acknowledge the fact that we are not all created equal in this regard. You know, I mean, there's no way that I've got, I, I know that I I don't have the same IQ as Elon Musk. Not, it's not realistic for me to think that I can think in the same way that he can accomplish some of the same things in the same way that he has, but that's really irrelevant, right? Because even going back to to the things that Jesus taught, there are some 10-talent people, there are some five-talent people, there are some one-talent people, and that's okay because God knows how he created us, but it's all about what we do with what we have. And fortunately for us in this regard, most of the things that we need to, to know and know how to do are learned skills. Mm-hmm. Like we, we can build on the things that aren't, that are, that are, you know, um, innate to us or, or things that have to do with your personality trait or your DNA and build on those things. But most of the, there are many, many things that we want to accomplish are learned skills. You know, you can have a mentor teach you how to, how to do something. Um, when we were recently renovating, completely renovating a house, it was all I could do to, you know, take a screwdriver and, and get a screw in the right place. But by the time we were finished, because I watched the people that were working on it and I educated myself and I asked questions, I got pretty decent at do it yourself. And, and a lot of the things that I'm looking at around here, are things, things that I did, it's very gratifying. Mm-hmm. But so a lot of the things you want to accomplish, listen, it's not, you know, this John, it's not luck. It's not who you know all the time, although that can help in some ways. But hey, guess what? Go meet that. Go meet them. Yeah. Introduce yourself to them. Serve somebody. And that, that way you can even build those relationships as well. So most of the things that happen, man, they're not just, they're not accidental, right? And we can intentionally build a knowledge base according to 
really what we want to accomplish. A lot of those things are learned skills. Yeah. And again, this is pretty, comes pretty natural to most pastors. If you were to, if someone were to say, well, how do I increase my knowledge? Well, okay, I'm going to go to the obvious ones. It's reading books. You know, most pastors are readers, but I harp on this all the time. If you're a leader, you should be a reader already, but not just reading. Some pastors need to honestly put down the church books for a little bit, like quit Get out of the theology for a minute, get out of the church leadership and church growth and actually expand into some other arenas of finance and you know business and, and other biographies of people who have led in different arenas. So I would challenge you to broaden that base. I heard a, I read a quote the other day in a book, I came across this quote that says, there is little difference between the man who can't read and the man who won't read. They both result in ignorance. I, I love that. I'm going to put that on my social media one of these days, but uh, you know, again, most pastors do a pretty good job of reading. Uh, another huge arena for me that that I have increased my capacity in terms of knowledge has been through podcasts, the very medium that we're speaking into right now. Les, I mean, I love podcasting. I'm very biased toward it because I think it's such a powerful way to to learn and to hear different voices on di- all, just a whole array of subjects. It it annoys me. And maybe it's because I am a podcaster, but it annoys me when I run across people who don't even know what a podcast is or have no idea how to listen to one. I'm like, you are, there is a world of information that you are just completely oblivious to because you're, you haven't tapped into this resource of podcasts. So again, if anyone's listening to this, I don't need to harp on that too much because they already get it. But, uh, you know, what are some other ways that we would encourage somebody to increase their knowledge capacity? Well, we, we have the world at our fingertips. You don't have to go to a library. You, you don't have to, to get out an, a set of encyclopedias that's, that's already dated by the time that you, you look at it. I mean, there's no lack of knowledge in the land. We also, you know, you and I both have been in, um, we've, we've gotten and invested in, in ourselves by getting courses uh, by sometimes going to physical conferences or by attending virtual conferences. Sometimes you can actually get, get probably get more capacity by in a quicker way by doing that. But all those things, any, anything that somebody who's already been to the mountain can help you get there. Yeah. Then go for it. Yeah. And one side note I want to say to that too, is most of those things are going to, there's going to be an investment. It's not a huge investment much of the time. I mean, maybe for courses and conferences um, a little bit more, but you know, books and podcasts are free or next to free, but there's still a, a financial investment there. And I, again, I just want to throw this out. Pastor, if you want to increase your capacity, you're going to have to invest and it's money well spent to bypass some of those lessons that you're otherwise going to have to bump into and learn yourself the hard way. If you can just pay someone for the years of their knowledge and experience where they can put you to the front of the line through their books, through their courses. And that's back to having an abundance mindset, right? So it's investing in yourself. Um, it, it, a hundred dollars a month or 300 or $500 a month. That sounds like a lot. But it only sounds like a lot if you're. Th- it it only is a lot if you're throwing it away or if you're wasting it. If if I'm making an investment and can can look, speaking of spreadsheets, if I can put on a spreadsheet that I am ten xing that investment. If I had a vending machine, and I could put in a dollar and get out ten, I'm doing it all day long. Right. And 
we're seeing that, you know, and when you invest in something that's going to help increase your capacity, you're not, I mean, hopefully you're blessing somebody else, but you're not just giving that away and see you later, have a great day. I mean, you're investing in yourself and we can get, that's a whole different podcast probably on the psychology of that. You know, John, sometimes don't you think that sometimes people are, are timid or even fearful of investing in themselves because they're fearful they won't succeed? Absolutely. And I think it goes to what you just said. It's kind of a scarcity mentality that instead of seeing this with abundance and all of the possibilities of what could happen if I make this investment into myself, we approach it with this mindset of I'm wasting this money. I'm losing this money. I'll never see this again. And there's so many other things it could go to. So I don't know if I want to lose this money on this conference, this course, this book, you know, whatever. So aren't we glad, aren't we glad that farmers don't have that mentality? Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, I'm going to keep this sack of seed in the silo because I'm, I, I, you know, I want, I want to keep having my seed. Well, if you do that, there's no harvest. Yeah. And this is biblical stuff, Les. It really is. Like it is biblical. We, we plant, we sow, then we reap. Like we can't reap what we haven't sown. And so that, that whole, that whole topic of increasing our capacity through knowledge and being willing to pay for that wisdom is, is very much a biblical concept. And, and that leads to another arena that I want to mention here in terms of another area where probably most pastors are probably going to have to put some focus on increasing their capacity. And that's in the area of finances. Now, this may not apply to everybody, but I, even my own life, my own journey, Les, I look back at where I came from, the family I grew up in, being in and around pastoral ministry my entire life. There is a lot about money I was never taught, about how money actually works. And so for me, in my adult life, I have had to increase my capacity. I've had to learn to think with more zeros on the end of things. And and this is one of the things too I love about helping pastors become entrepreneurs. I think it gives pastors more credibility in the eyes of many of the business people within their church when the business leaders can look at their pastor and say, "Oh, they get it. Like they understand the world I'm in." I think a lot of times pastors come to the business leaders with our hands out going, we need some of that money because we know you're making it. We're not making it very much. We don't understand how this works very well. And I think we can do a better job as pastors in that arena. And so we need to level up when it comes to learning how money works and turning up our own financial thermostat. And, um, you know, I, I, what do you say to that, Les, to those pastors that have kind of just been brought up in and around that scarcity thinking. And so it's so easy for us to just see such limitation and not really even expand our mindset to thinking about what would it look like if I actually was wealthy? What would it look like if I actually had assets that were producing income and cash flow for me? Like speak to that pastor that's just getting going in this arena who really does need to level up. Well, I would start by being honest with yourself and going back and recalling the conversations that your parents had about money that you heard and that they maybe even had with you about money. I know that I had to come to a point when, when our kids were little, I would hear myself or at least be tempted to say, we can't do that or, or you can't have that because we don't have the money or we don't have money. Well, when you, Tell a child that who who can't who doesn't have the world experience that you, that you do. What you're saying is that, that would not be a wise purchase for us right now. It's not that you don't have 
any money. You, you've got money. You got money to pay the mortgage, to buy groceries, to, to buy gas for the car. It's just that you're choosing not to spend a portion of your wealth on that. And that's not something that you might be able to have a, you know, a mature conversation with a six-year-old on that. But, but th those are things that we probably shouldn't say, you know, um, something else. My, my wife and I have a kind of a running um, joke is, I guess a running joke where we, if we look down and if I see a quarter in the parking lot as we're getting into the car or a dollar bill, you know, blowing across the, the parking lot somewhere, I'll grab it and say, look at this. We're money magnets. I mm -hmm. mean, it just, we can't help it. It just runs to us. And we, we laugh at that, but that, that is a much, much better mindset than, well, you know, money doesn't grow on trees and all the stuff that we tell ourselves that just, they just put us in an unhealthy spot when it comes to having a, a, a proper attitude toward wealth. It's a tool. You know, it's a great tool. It's a terrible God. But I would say if you think that you have blind spots, well, I, I, let me back up. I was going to say if you think you have blind spots, have some conversation with somebody who can be honest, that you can trust, who won't be like who can be trusted, uh, who, who won't be glad to have these conversations to be critical of you. But I would say you have everybody has blind spots. Sure. So find someone that you can trust in this area that loves you. It might or it may or may not be somebody if you're if you're leading a local church now, it might not be somebody that's there now, but find somebody that you um, that you that you trust and that you respect in this area and say, hey, can you talk to me about how you feel about money, about how you treat money? Um, so another thought that just came to me, John, is that uh, I was listening to someone who does know a lot more about this uh, than than most people, I think. And she was talking about um, treating money as a or wealth as a friend, hmm. and what you do with your wealth. We we do some pretty stupid things with wealth sometimes, mm -hmm. and and especially when it comes to waste um, or what we invest in. And and her statement, I'm paraphrasing, but her statement was: Would you treat a friend? Would you treat a friend the way that you just treated your money? Like respect it. Now I know it's an inanimate object. It's not a, got a persona, but treat it as if it did. And you'll be more respectful of it and more careful of what you do with it and make wiser investments. Probably I just, that just came to my mind, but it, I, I remember when she said that and I thought, wow, I, that's really, that's really pretty good. I love that. Something I've often done with pastors is challenge them. If you want to turn up your thermostat in this arena and, and increase your capacity, just, Imagine for a moment what it would be like to triple your income, whatever your whatever your income was last year, 3x that in your mind right now. Then I'll challenge you to go even further, 10x that in your mind. And just what comes up inside of you, like do a little bit self-assessment, some check in there, like what emotions bubble up with that? Is, is there some negative thoughts that immediately come up of like, well, that could never happen, or I don't want to be one of those evil rich people, you know, like you'll start to see some things and some of those blind spots might start to kind of come to the surface when you're like, man, what would it be like if I actually had that kind of income? What would I do? How would I, how would I invest that? How would I use that? And so anyway, I just, for, for a pastor that for their whole life has really been in that you know, maybe lower middle class to poverty level, which is not that far out for most pastors. Uh, I just want to challenge you. You can do better financially, and it doesn't all have to come from the giving of your church. That's where I think so many of us as pastors just quit because we're like, 
man, I know I'm never going to be rich. I've I'm been called to pastoral ministry, and so money's never going to be a problem for me to have to worry about what to do with this abundant wealth. And so through this platform, we want to challenge pastors. You can increase your wealth. You can do much better financially than maybe what you ever thought possible, but you're going to have to increase your capacity to do that. Turn up that financial thermostat, learn how money actually works, learn what wealth is and how to build it. And uh, we can help you do that. We've got pastors in our community that are doing that very thing. And we want to help you do that. So how about if we make this statement, okay, Pat, if you're, if you're a pastor, if you're a ministry leader or have that in your background, the best ways for you to increase your income do not include begging for a raise. Mm, I like that. That brings up a lot of emotion in many pastors because the thought of, man, to ask for a raise, to beg for a raise, you know, man, I don't want to go sit down with the board and have that conversation. They, half of them already think I make too much anyway to work my one hour on Sunday and, you know, that whole thing, right? So Easy. Yeah, easy. right? Right? It hits close <laughs> to home, doesn't it? But we know the truth that I'm working way more than one hour on Sunday. I'm providing value. So, yeah, we want to just help you bypass all of that. Let's just go make some money and build some wealth beyond the, the four walls of the church. I'm not saying some pastors shouldn't go ask for a raise. Maybe you're severely underpaid, yeah. but that's not really our plan here. Our plan is to help you build wealth that's coming from other places anyway, not just from the giving of your people. So let's let's go to another area that we need to increase our capacity. Right. A lot of these are really linked together, Les, but the next yeah. one that I would throw out is our thinking. Like some people flat out just think small. I'll tell you a quick story. Years ago, I was in different Facebook groups and there's one, I don't want to name it. Um, but it, I can say it was for small church pastors, but I so often wanted to like rename the group and call it small minded pastors because I got so annoyed with so many of the comments that I saw from these pastors. And th this was more in the church space specifically, just talking about church growth and what's possible. And, and I just got so annoyed with the small thinking that is representative of so many pastors and so if we're going to level up and, and have the capacity to be an entree pastor, we're going to have to learn to think bigger. What say you? Yeah, well, it all starts with the thinking, right? As a person thinks within himself, so is he. So I, I would say, again, enlist. It's just healthy to have, it doesn't take many, but one or, or two people that you can trust who love you. And I, I want to keep coming back to that because they really need to, to genuinely love you and have these conversations where you can ask them, do if you hear me saying things that are small thinking or, or, or things that show a lack of faith on my part, would you please just lovingly call me out, <laughs> Lo love me enough to tell me the truth here, because you might not see it yourself. You know, it may be a blind spot for you. Yeah, and I think that's the power of what we're going to talk about next, getting around the right kind of relationships where people can help expose some of those limiting beliefs that we all have. I mean, we all have those limiting beliefs. But one thing we talked about in our conversation with our mastermind, and I prefaced it by saying this will make some of you nervous uh, because some of you are going to say this sounds really woo-woo and out there. Um, but again, I think it's, I honestly think this is falls back on some biblical principles and it's what we might call daily affirmations. Like if you want to learn how to increase the capacity of your thinking and learn to think bigger, I, I have found for myself personally that the, the discipline of having daily affirmations, statements that I affirm and speak over myself and hear my mouth declare certain things, 
actually has the power for me to to start believing those things, for my reality to start matching what I'm hearing myself say. There's a lot of science behind how our subconscious mind works. And if we constantly talk negative, like I'll give you an example, Les. I was on a call uh, a while back with a pastor doing a coaching call, and he has a really great business. I won't even say what area it's in because I don't want to expose him or embarrass him. But but he said, I he, so he's got a great product, a great service that he's providing, but he says, I hate sales. I hate the sales part. He always gets weird when it comes to the time of making a sale and closing a client, even though he's serving these businesses really well. And I challenged him. I said, you need to be careful with that language because when your subconscious mind hears you say, I hate sales, when it comes to that pivotal moment of closing a deal and selling serving your potential client, your subconscious mind is going to kick in and go, no, remember, he doesn't like sales. We're going to work really hard to keep him in, in alignment with that reality that he's not good at selling stuff. And I said, you'll, you'll sabotage so much mm-hmm. success because of the words you're speaking. So if, if it can work negatively against us, it can also work positively in our favor. You know, the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. I think there's the power of life and death are in the tongue, scripture says. So we have the ability with our words to sculpt a future that is better than our current reality by speaking it into existence. So I th- I'm a big believer of those affirmations. I think that they do help expand the capacity of our thoughts and help us think bigger thoughts than what we used to think. Yeah, and use the use the example of sales. When you're uncomfortable there, it's not then it's not because you don't believe in your abilities or you don't believe in the product that you're you know wanting to help someone else with, but it's perceived that way. And then that's what leads to the sabotage when they they can they just sense the uneasiness and the 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 lack of uh, lack of faith. Or it's not that you're being disingenuous at all. It's just that you're you've told yourself that you're not good at this. You don't like this, but you know, you're going to do it because it's a necessary evil is kind of what you're thinking, but it that's picked up by other people and it will sabotage your success. No doubt about it. So this is not, and it's just a matter of, um, you know, you can, you can help speak yourself up here. And there's a reason that professional athletes and high, high level, high performing uh, individuals have this practice. Okay. Yep. It's not, it's not, it's not new agey. It's not worshiping crystals. It's just speaking the things and seeing the things and believing the things that we believe are going to help us reach our potential and help those goals and dreams come true. Yeah. So we want to help pastors think on a higher level and think bigger. Yeah. And another way, again, I said all of these are related, so we'll move on to our fifth of of the six uh, areas we're going to talk about. The next one is relationships, that we really need to be intentional about the relationships that we choose to be in and and the people we choose to be around. Now, sometimes we don't always have full control over everyone that gets to have a part in our life, but we do have a lot more control than we often think. I think sometimes as pastors— we get stuck in some really toxic relationships because we've bought into this limiting belief that says, well, I'm their pastor. I just have to spend, they they need as much of my time as they can. I think all of us, don't name names right now, Les, but we can all think of people over the years in our ministry that have just been those, what John Maxwell calls um, high-maintenance, low-functioning people. 
And I remember that in a book he wrote a long time ago, and it really stood out to me that in ministry, in the church world, you're going to have those people that come into the body of Christ, and they need to be loved, and they need to be served and ministered to, but they're high maintenance, they they relationally take a lot out of you, and they're low-producing, low-functioning people. So I always told our staff, like, I'm looking for the exact opposite of the people that are on the staff of my team here in our church. Like, you're going to be low-maintenance high producing people. Uh, we, we will open our hearts to the others, but I'm not investing tons of my time. They're not getting super close to me. I want to be surrounded with low maintenance people where relationally I'm not doing a lot of work to keep the relationship up. And there's a lot of functionality that's coming from it. They're producing. And I want to be surrounded by people like that, that are not toxic. They're not small thinking, small minded people. They think big. They believe for the best in others. Like those are the types of relationships that I want to be around. How about you? Well, you're the folks that are listening to this podcast. So you're listening here for a few reasons. And one of the reasons that you're drawn to this message is that you love people. Mm -hmm. You're, you're called to serve people in some way, probably pastors, people, missionaries, uh, people with a, even a heart for the kingdom. We just love people. And that doesn't even, it's not even a personality style issue, John. There are extroverts, love people. Introverts, mm-hmm. love people. They don't want to be around a crowd of people all the time, 24-7, but they still love people, right? But loving people doesn't always mean that we're around them in equal measure or that we give them the permission to say things into our life in in equal measure. So some people, it's just long-term, it's not, it wouldn't be healthy for, for me to spend the majority or a, or a good bit of my time with those people that wouldn't be healthy for me. It'd be, there are some people that that would be, that would be a toxic relationship, right? So I am commanded to love those people, but loving those people may look different, right? It may, it means that I'm, it may mean that I'm not going to be the one, they're not going to be part of that inner circle. You know, Jesus loved everyone. He had 12 disciples, three were in his inner circle. Mm -hmm. So, and I, and I think that in many, many ways, that's a very, very healthy uh, example for you and for me. So what I'm saying in that is when you, when you choose really, when you, when you, when you kind of make the decision in your life that, you know what, I, I need to start thinking differently. I need to stop being so negative. Um, I need to stop telling myself that I'm a loser or that I'm a failure or that I'm good at this or, or, or not good at this or that. Then maybe part of that is that you need to be around some people who are going to uh, reinforce those things in your life instead of, you know, be be those joy suckers. Absolutely, and I'll, I'll even double down on that and say for Pat, for many pastors, if you're going to increase your capacity relationally, it is going to require you to intentionally distance yourself from certain relationships, maybe cut some off altogether, uh, but at the very least, put, put them at an arm's length and then replace those with more high-level, high-capacity relationships. It's one of the things we offer in our community with our membership community less is 
we have pastors and certainly our mastermind, we are creating a community where pastors can be celebrated for the success that they're having in all of these different arenas and not being surrounded by people that are going to drag you down and pull you back into the mud and go, no, we don't want you to succeed. And so it's super important. You're going to have to increase your relational capacity. And there's a whole nother angle to this too, Les, that our net work is really a part of our net worth, that we need to to be expanding our relationships because it's not just about us getting there on our own, leveling up on our own. Often that leveling up is going to come through those relationships that we are connecting with and the network that is expanding around us. So there's so much to this this arena of increasing our relational capacity. So one more thing we'll say, we're kind of wrap it up here. This is going a little longer than I wanted it to, but uh, one more super important arena that we need to pay attention to is our physical. You know, as pastors, I think so often it's easy to focus on the spiritual side of things and the, you know, I think pastors can, can do a better job of grasping those things that are a little bit more transcendent or there's a word I'm, that's now escaping me that's not <laughs> tangible, the, the intangible, yeah. right? That's the word I was looking for. And yeah. so we go there a lot. Um, but, but we also need to realize we are physical beings. And this is an area that for myself has been a constant struggle uh, in my years of ministry and leadership. It's giving the right amount of attention and focus to my physical health, my nutrition, my exercise, getting the right amount of sleep. And if we ignore that, there's some big problems waiting for us that will help kind of, you know, take away the success in those other arenas if we're not developing and and doing a good job of cultivating in the physical realm. So what do you say to that, Les, to the whole physical arena? Yeah, this is something that um, affected me several years ago, John, when um, I wasn't getting the sleep that I needed. I had uh, stopped my, a, a pretty consistent exercise regimen that I'd uh, had for years in addition to some hereditary things related to my own, you know, physical makeup and, and crashed pretty hard when I uh, had a major heart attack. And uh, that served as a, a wake up call in many ways to me. So, you know, God was gracious and spared my life. And um, it just reminded me, especially having really serious conversations with physicians after that, I had underestimated Eve. I knew the importance of exercise and not going crazy with eating habits and things like that. But I had underestimated the importance of sleep. Um, I didn't want to be lazy. I don't want to be slothful. We kind of wear that as a badge. Well, I get up at four 30 in the morning and I do the blah, 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 but that'll, that'll catch up to you for a while. Yeah. It's okay to get up at four 30 if you're going to bed at nine Yeah. You know, or whatever, but that everybody's different here. So I, and I know people believe me, man, I, I know, I know leaders that hardly sleep at all. Yeah. Hardly at all. Uh, just, but for me that, that ended up being very, very healthy. Um, and it, it they, they, all these things affect each other, right? They, they affect our mental state, our emotional state, all, and, and even our spiritual. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so important. And to ignore this arena is to do so at your own peril because we can ignore it for a while, but it, it catches up and it's that whole reality of choose your heart. It is hard to you know, eat right and to exercise and to sleep and get the number of hours of sleep you need. It's it's not easy, but it's also hard when you're laying in the hospital recovering from a heart attack or when your physical health is so poor that you do not have the the physical bandwidth or capacity to keep up with the schedule that 
being an entree pastor will demand because you're just constantly run down and shot and worn out. A lot of that stems from our physical. And again, we could do a whole series of episodes on this. So we're just scratching the surface on this. But here's what we're going to do, Les. In our backstage portion of this episode, you and I are both going to share one, maybe a couple stories, really practical of where we have increased our capacity in some of these areas. Um, and so you and I have both been given the challenge to think about that. What are, what's a really specific arena that you and, or a way that you and I have increased our capacity. So we'll go there in just a moment, but as we get ready to sign off, let's talk real quick about this dollar trial offer that we've got going for our membership right now. After saying all of this stuff, man, this is a great place to just say, Hey guys, we have a community that is helping pastors level up in all of these arenas and helping you find success. And right now we're letting you in for a dollar for the first month. Les, what would you add to that? They need to know about this. Yeah, well, you know, I would never go and buy a home without looking on the inside and checking it out. And some people, that's that's a wise thing for them to do to make an informed decision. And one of the ways to do that with the membership and all the content that's in our membership is to actually get in there and look around. And uh, you can do that right now for a dollar for the first month. So it's normally much, much more than that, but um, still a great value. But that dollar is really a a no-brainer. There's no strings attached. You can certainly uh, say after that first month or even after that first week, I'm out. But make an informed decision. Go in there, take a look around, and we're uh, we're comfortable enough, John, with what's in there to let people come in and take a look. Yeah. And I believe that they'll like what they see. So that's entrepastors.com forward slash trial. There you go. We'd love to have you in there. And if you're listening to this at the time of the release of this episode, we've got our next uh, weekly or monthly Q&A in our membership coming up. Our live Q&A is on Tuesday, April 12th, I believe. So we'd love to have you jump in and be a part of that at 7 p.m. Central Time. And you'll have access to me and Les and others in the membership community there. So come on in, check it out. We'd love to have you. Guys, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. We would be super grateful if you would be so kind as to leave a rating and review on whatever platform you are consuming this podcast on. Help us get the word out to more pastors. We would be very grateful for that. So all the best to you, Les. Nice hanging out with you, man. I'll see you backstage in a few minutes. Bye, John.